Would you stop staring at me? It's freaking me out. It's freaking me out! I'm pubescent! Welcome to the Graveyard Slot, where we talk about movies past their prime time. Here, we revisit old favorites with a fresh perspective to see if they deserve more credit or if they should stay buried. I'm Sohini. And I'm Sarah, and today we're talking about Seventeen again. Seventeen again follows Mike O'Donnell, who lives a drab existence where he's soon to be divorced, has a less than stellar relationship with his two teenage children, and works what's turning out to be a dead-end job. An opportunity presents itself to change the course of his life when Mike is transformed into his 17-year-old self. This movie was released in 2009 and directed by Bruce Thiers, who did Igby Goes Down, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and another Zac Efron flick, Charlie St. Cloud. It actually makes so much sense that this director has done Charlie St. Cloud because it's in some ways equally as nonsensical <laughs> as this movie. So we decided to watch this movie because I guess we both liked it in the past and we were surprised to see that it had pretty average reviews. And as usual, we just wanted to see if it was warranted or whether this movie should deserve a little bit more credit. I personally cannot remember when I saw this movie. I just saw it at some point in my life. It was pretty fun. And I mean, you know, Matthew Perry, Zac Efron, it's a pretty fun cast so yeah i didn't really have any complaints at the time yeah i don't remember disliking this movie either i don't remember loving it either i think it was just a movie that happened mm -hmm. which probably is a deserved <laughs> title <laughs> one of the reviews i found for the movie was from detroit news and it reads it could be better it could be worse which i think perfectly encapsulates my opinion on it now this is my feelings on the movie in a nutshell as well, except that the truth is more complicated than that. But if I had to put it in a sentence, it would be this. I mean, when I think of the positive aspects, the negative interferes yeah. in my mind. And when I think of the negatives, I'm like, okay, there are some good parts too. So I can't completely dismiss it. The review I found is from Chicago Sun-Times, and it reads, Pleasant, harmless PG-13 entertainment, with a plot a little more surprising and acting a little better than I expected. So it's a little nicer, but it's not that complimentary as well. It's probably more due to the low expectations people had for this movie, mm. and it just surpassed it. It wasn't bad because like Efron is a shitty actor. <laughs> it isn't bad because it's entirely for, you know, tweens and doesn't have any substance at all. It was bad for other reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Which we will get into in a lot more detail. You know what? Let's just jump into it. Yeah. As always, we'll be discussing this movie chronologically. We start off in 1989 and Mike O'Donnell is in the middle of a game where Scott is present, and this is his senior year, a really important game. Quite a lot at stake. Yeah. You know what I really liked seeing? Zac Efron playing basketball. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, that wasn't it. I liked seeing him dancing with the cheerleaders. <laughs> yeah, we haven't seen that before, right? That was completely new. So out of the blue. Who knew Zac Efron can dance? I do like your observation when we were watching this movie because you said, does Zac Efron exclusively do movies about basketball? 
I just like to imagine there was a clause in his contract that specified that basketball must be present in the movie or he will not participate. Like those actors who want a music career and they always sneak in like a scene or two of them singing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving on. I love his hair. I do too. I'm quite mad that they switched it out for a right? Justin Bieber haircut pretty soon. I wonder if even back in the day, we would have thought that that haircut looks nice. Or if it's just because in 2022, we think it's cute, you know? Maybe. I think as a younger viewer, I liked his Justin Bieber hair better. So Really? My tastes have developed, yes. Okay. I have seen the light. <laughs> <laughs> But talking about looks, we see his best friend Ned and oh my god, they have like a 12-year-old <laughs> as Ned and everyone else looks like adults. Why can't you just make him nerdy? That's enough. You don't have to make him look 12. Maybe that's the point of this movie. Nerdiness makes you more youthful. Zac Efron was the biggest nerd in this film. That's why he reverted back to his 17-year-old self. Like he thought about Star Wars for two seconds and suddenly... <laughs> <laughs> Something I do really like here is that we find out he was never like a bully in high school or anything mm -hmm. you know he stands up for ned and he's best friends with ned so it goes to show he's not persnickety about being popular or whatever like he was just a decent kid who was nice and a good friend yeah so the basketball game begins and right before it starts mike's girlfriend scarlet shows up and she's acting pretty weird <laughs> it's just funny to me that she was initially insisting that you know you should play the game first and i'll tell you about it later but she's acting so <laughs> strange outright that's so obvious something is wrong with her she's just so in distress you know but i was screaming at the screen the entire time i was like just tell him later like you know this is a really important game and the thing is like you know you're pregnant you need mike to play his best game and get recruited so that you have money to raise your kid if anything this is like important for you and your baby you know of course this is all from an outsider's perspective with like a clear head and all so Yeah, they do frame it as if him choosing to play the game is equivalent to him abandoning his girlfriend and their baby, which it doesn't have to be. But I'm gonna chalk it down to their young age that they're making these questionable and rash decisions. I suppose from Scarlett's perspective, she might be worried that if this game goes well and Mike ends up going to college, that he'll just leave her behind and choose his career and his prospects over her and their baby yeah you're right you're right so in a way i do understand it's just <laughs> a little bit funny to me that her emotions are just so much <laughs> on the surface that it's so it's just so obvious something was wrong but yeah you're right it's a huge deal so it's understandable that she's not really able to hold back and she tells mike everything right before the game begins and he decides to not play yeah. and runs after her instead how does that end up <laughs> <laughs> i mean pretty well well not immediately the next 20 years are a little rough a little <laughs> Having this framed the way it is, like, it's a crucial choice in his life. This is the moment where he chooses which path he takes. 
I like the idea, actually, that their romance apparently wasn't worth it, you know? Mm -hmm. Or like, at least looking back and considering that idea later on in your middle age. It's not the sweeping thing you thought back in your teens. It's not romantic and glamorous the way you wanted it to be, or even like were convinced it was gonna be. Not exactly what we're touching on here, because he truly is in love with her, and there are other issues at play. But for a second, I thought that's what we were gonna explore and I like that alternate message as well that a real relationship and partnership isn't as magical as we've been led to believe but that doesn't mean it doesn't have value and simply learning to let go of this idea you'd built up in your head is okay if this was what they were gonna explore I would have liked something like that I actually had the same thought and I do think this is one of the messages that we're getting from the movie to me, the movie is showing what happens after that romantic grand gesture that we normally get, you know, at the end of these romantic uh, movies. You have to think about what comes after the happily ever after. It's a lot more complicated than just we love each other because you have to think about reality. And I do think this movie is portraying what happens when that reality hits. Yeah. And what's even more interesting to me is that it is exploring what happens even even if the choice is actually correct. Just because you did the right thing doesn't mean it's going to be smooth sailing from then on. I'm really glad that it's not realizing you made the wrong choice back in the day. It's contending with the fact that you actually did make the right choice and yet it still led to this life. Yeah, and what I appreciate as well is, like you said, it's not framed as the incorrect choice. It's that you wouldn't choose any differently, but you can still be unhappy with how mm -hmm. some things went. And that's just how life is, really. Yeah. I think in that way, the movie is touching on some very relatable and human emotions. Yeah. I think that's what allows the more unrealistic parts of it to work. Yeah, for sure. We jump to present day and Mike's, you know, in middle age and, you know, the middle age crisis he's in the middle of kind of really got me down. Yeah, and unfortunately getting passed over for a promotion is the cherry on top of the whole midlife crisis cake. What really struck me is that while Mike has been at his job for 16 years, his boss has only been there for two <laughs> And Mike is surrounded by people who are largely younger and more successful than him. And I think this is a great way of showing his place in life because he could easily have become an unlikable character. But instead of that, I think we feel sympathy for him because it's not that he's a bad person inherently, he's just reacting to his surroundings. Yeah. He's bitter at the world and for good reason, but it's not that he's just an awful person. He's just stuck in a rut. And I can understand that feeling of thinking that everyone is progressing, whereas you are stuck in the same stage in your life, wishing you could go back and choose differently and set your life on a better path. So I think that makes him quite a sympathetic character. Yeah, same. I find it a little weird that Mike randomly visits the high school. No, he was there to pick up his kids. Okay, that does make sense. But while he's, you know, staring at a picture of himself, as you do, <laughs> he gets into this conversation with the janitor there talking about his basketball career back in high school. And he does express to the janitor that he wishes he could go back to being 17. This actually brings me to an issue I have with this movie, which is that the dialogue is too on the nose. Fair. Because people generally don't talk like that. 
you know? Everything we mean is not always on the surface. But with this movie, everyone is saying what they're actually thinking and feeling. Very rarely do I find a degree of nuance where maybe one thing actually means something else. And especially in moments like this, which is like a pretty important moment in the movie, I just wish there had been a bit more subtlety. You're right. We already can see that Mike is not in a great place in his life. He wants to go back to when he thinks things were much better for him. We already see that. So to have the janitor say, seems to me you guys are living in the past, or I bet you wish you could be 17 again. Again, it's unnecessary. They should trust the audience a little bit more. We're already seeing it all play out. So like you're already showing us. You don't have to tell us as well. Exactly. But like you said, Mike is there to pick up his kids. I do like his daughter unapologetically just pretends to listen to music. Like it's not even plugged. And she's not sorry about it at all. And I think in that way, she's kind of similar to Mike. Because Mike is also quite petty. <laughs> and he just doesn't care <laughs> when he doesn't care he doesn't mind showing it so i think she takes after him a little yeah or a lot <laughs> this scene kind of reminded me of bella and charlie <laughs> when they were having dinner just like charlie mike's knowledge of his kids is pretty outdated you know he thinks his son is this basketball star and he doesn't even know what his daughter's preferences are anymore when they're going out to eat and just goes to show that their relationship has been deteriorating for a while after ice cream he drops them off at their place and he sees his ex-wife scarlet and she's tearing up the backyard and they have a little argument about the effort mike had or hadn't put into the garden i do like the backyard as a metaphor for their relationship you know, now that you've pointed it out, how it's all very much spelled out for you, I guess I like this less, but... <laughs> <laughs> Scarlett says that Mike had quit one of his projects because he just didn't want to try anymore, and that's exactly what Mike had done to their marriage too, and his life in general. That's the core of what we're dealing with here in Mike's character and journey. But, you know, like with this line and this whole scene, it's like, you know, your life is what you make it, not just entirely dependent on certain choices and circumstances. Um, you can't always blame the universe, no matter how much they contribute to certain results. But especially in a case like Mike's, when the root of the problem is himself. I really like your reading of the backyard as a symbol of the state of their relationship. I think it's the dialogue that interfered for me because if they had just gone about showing the state of the backyard and everything that Mike had abandoned and gotten tired of without spelling it out so explicitly, I think it might have been more powerful and stood out more as a more effective use of symbolism. <laughs> <laughs> this is also when Scarlett's friend Naomi shows up and I really like the details that they give Mike's character. For example, him calling his wife Scar and pronouncing Naomi's name wrong. These are brought up again later, even when he's 17. And I think they give more continuity to his character and make it believable that it really is him, even though we're obviously looking at a completely different person. It's still the same character. Yeah. So after this, Mike is on his way home. And it's kind of like the typical horror movie scene where there's a storm and it's dark and the radio starts malfunctioning and he's driving on this bridge and he sees the janitor who is apparently about to jump into the water. Mike jumps out to try and help him and basically just 
falls into this whirlpool <laughs> and he wakes up what do you know 17 again wow wouldn't have guessed dun, dun, dun. biggest plot twist of the movie <laughs> one thing i would like to say special effects isn't great <laughs> they superimposed like a face on it yeah i'm not expecting like excellent special effects like just have a shitty whirlpool i'm fine with that it reminds me of that scene in high school musical 2 where zac efron is looking at his reflection in a body of water and the reflection is super clear <laughs> it's like a mirror yeah zac efron has one special effects guy that follows him from movie to movie <laughs> i bet he did charlie saint cloud as well yeah he made the ghost kid but he, you know, drags himself out of there, covered in mud. He goes home to Ned's place, which is where he's been staying. And Ned obviously thinks there's a stranger in his house, so they get into <laughs> a fight sequence. And I actually really enjoy it. I think it's full of personality and character, partly because Ned is established as so much a nerd that his name is one letter away from the word. <laughs> But they duel with all these different props that he has displayed around the house. And it's really fun. Also because they have this established dynamic between them mm -hmm. where they know each other so well that it makes it really fun to watch. Yeah, <laughs> they do a really good job with their friendship, honestly. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this fight specifically is just a fun way, especially to use this character's traits i do like that here it has a purpose no matter how trivial or how important mm -hmm. and the slightly more relevant side to this is that he's familiar with various tropes and story acts and arc <laughs> so he has a bit of an idea on what could be happening to mike they basically say that it's something like spirit guy transformation magic once he realizes that the magical being was probably the janitor, he goes to the school to try to find him still dripping in mud. But Mike ends up enrolling in school because he concludes that his mission on this journey is to redo his senior year and make different choices that will lead to a much more satisfying life down the road. He's enrolled as Ned's kid and he's tricked out in what he thinks is what the cool kids wear these days. <laughs> he specifically references Kevin Federline as like his inspiration. I really liked this one moment where Ned told him he looks like a douche and Mike was like, I do not look like a douche. And someone in the background says, what a douche. <laughs> right after that, Ned pulls out his credit card and goes, we're going shopping and I cannot believe we do not get a shopping montage. Yeah, we love a good montage on this podcast. <laughs> you can put 99 montages in there and then maybe I will finally swap out Morning Glory for a new movie. This is why Morning Glory <laughs> is your favorite movie because it's 99.9% .9 montage. <laughs> You know what? Maybe this is why we can't have a montage. All he gets is a white t-shirt <laughs> and a jacket and a pair of sunglasses. That must have been so boring. But that's not all he got. Oh yeah. <laughs> he got a Justin Bieber haircut too, to top it all off. But he can get a whole new wardrobe. He can get a whole new haircut. But Mike is still <laughs> how old? Like He's 17, right, when the whole thing happens. And then it's 20 years later. So 37? Oh, that's younger than I thought. What the hell? <laughs> they are acting like they're having a midlife crisis, but they're only in their 30s. I think they're supposed to be older. I think they just fucked up the timeline. I honestly think so. They did not think this through. 
Anyway, he can change his wardrobe and he can change his hair, but you know, he's still a grown up on the inside and he keeps forgetting <laughs> that he's transformed <laughs> into a teenager because whenever he sees his kids, he gets really excited and starts waving at them. This is something that continues throughout the movie where he just keeps forgetting that he's changed <laughs> and reverts back into his father figure role, which is just really funny, but also kind of endearing because yeah. you can tell that he is a really caring father and he's trying his best for his children. Yeah. It's just that he forgets to do it in a way that's convincing in a 17-year-old's body. <laughs> I was expecting for there to be scenes where he was calling the kids, putting on his adult voice. Now that he knows their interests, pushing the conversation towards something that they can bond over. I think that would have been really sweet. And I think it would have bolstered the overall message of this movie if we had seen him starting to form a closer bond with his children as himself, not as his teenage self. It's a shame we miss out on having this character development because it's done so well in his teenage form where you can see that he does care. He just probably hasn't been acting on it lately. It would have been nice to see him make that change as the movie goes on. For sure. I really like that this is a journey of him getting to know his kids, which fucking sucks because of how this movie ends. <laughs> but most of the meat of this movie is Mike discovering his kids' interests and inner lives and insecurities and helping them through it. I honestly think they balance it out pretty well for most of the movie. It's a pretty holistic view of Mike getting his family back, both his wife and his kids. So again, it's just so confusing why the movie ends the way it does, which we'll talk about later. But it was never a thing where it was like, it was just about, you know, Scarlet. If anything, this was the main thing. <laughs> yeah, he says it himself. So in the next scene, he and Ned are having a conversation about this whole thing. And he says that this whole journey that he's been set on is about Alex and Maggie. So from the beginning, it is established that it's his children yeah. <laughs> that he's set out to help. But yeah, Mike is eating so much junk because he's so hungry all the time being in the body of a teenager. Although I hate that Mike takes one bite of a super sandwich and leaves. <laughs> well, considering what he put on there, I'm not surprised actually. Normally I would have a problem with that too, but I can understand in this case, I will make an exception because that <laughs> sandwich looked absolutely disgusting. He put Nutella and then mayonnaise and then pickles and then I think crushed up corn chips specifically and then easy cheese and then ingredients to a regular burger so beef lettuce tomato and bread and maybe it was just like it was an out you know he's like oh my god that tastes awful i'm just gonna pretend i really have to go <laughs> so when he was at school he finds out that alex actually isn't popular he's not even on the basketball team as he's been led to believe he's basically being bullied pretty badly yeah and what he finds out about Maggie is that she's dating Stan, which is the bully. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand why she's dating him. They don't really put any effort in establishing a sibling relationship between Maggie and Alex. Yeah, they don't even show them like bickering or fighting or anything. Yeah, I don't think they interact once in the entire movie. So it's difficult to understand the motivation <laughs> right. behind her dating her brother's bully. Yeah. 
you know, this is what it should have been. Sort of like the bullshit sexist stuff that happens. It should have been that his connection with Maggie or whatever, or like his lecture to her or whatever, <laughs> is that you should be standing up for your brother. This is the person that you'll always have to back you up for the rest of your life. You have to take care of him. And this could have been a great thing. Maybe he asks, why is it that you don't have a relationship with your brother, blah, blah, blah. You know, like this could have been the thing that they talk about. Yeah, I think the movie was too focused on romantic relationships. For all the characters, I think I half agree with you because I don't think the romance took over Mike's plot. With him, since he's trying to win his wife back, it does make sense. But it's just everywhere. Sometimes people aren't interested. <laughs> that is also a thing. Sometimes people have other aspects to their lives that they care more about than having a relationship. Yeah. It feels a bit repetitive and one-dimensional. But Mike is friends with Alex. Yeah, I really liked that scene where he defends Alex from Stan in the cafeteria. Like, not his bullshit <laughs> insult or anything. Just when Stan starts bullying him, Mike stands up and says, you do not talk to him like that. The character is a 17-year-old on the outside, but... In that moment, I could believe that inside, he's still their father. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was just really well acted. I think the concept could have not worked out as well if the acting hadn't been up to par. Because obviously you have to convince audiences that this is a middle-aged man on the inside. But I think that moment really struck me, the way he said that line. I really liked it. It was just nice to see the caring father side come out when his kids needed him. Yeah, same. I really love all the parts where you can see that this is an adult and this is a father. Mm -hmm. I think Zach Efron is a good actor. I did wonder if this movie would have been leagues better if it had been an even better actor. Like, he's no Jennifer Garner in 13 going on 30, you know? <laughs> but I'm saying, like, I do wonder what this could be if he was a Jennifer Garner. I think that's a legitimate question, and your comparison with 13 going on 30 is very warranted, especially since the concept is the same. And we have seen how Jennifer Garner managed to imbue every single aspect of the character with the youthfulness of a 13-year-old. Not just the way she talked, but the way she moved and the way she interacted with her surroundings. Everything just screamed 13-year-old trapped in an adult body. And I don't necessarily know that Zac Efron was up to that level. I don't think his performance was quite as nuanced, but I still think he did a decent job in any case. I think he did a great job is what I'm saying, which is why like, I want him to <laughs> portray this really nuanced, heartbreaking performance because it could have been that. The part that stuck out to me is when he's in class and it's like sex ed or something and he's describing holding his kid for the first time. It's supposed to be a thing where he's swept away by the emotions and the memory and for his character's journey, it's like remembering what was so special about this life that he chose. That fell flat for me. I think in general, one thing that is missing from this movie is having Mike wrestle with the fact that he's a teenager again. You're right. And about that scene specifically, I didn't like it. The writing just got in the way for me. Yeah, for sure. I couldn't ignore 
the sexist stuff, the way that it's framed as if every woman is supposed to have some kind of motherly instinct and the moment he mentions the joys of having a baby, suddenly everyone wants to be abstinent until they're 30 and it's just, <laughs> I felt like it was less the character saying it, more the writer saying it and their specific opinions coming through the character's mouth and that just takes me out of the story. It's just not good writing. I agree. I think this is why... I wish he had done something with the performance. I think it could have been a good scene had it been about him overwhelmed by the feelings of the first few seconds of fatherhood. That's a great point. But now that Mike is friends with Alex, he finds out that Alex is surprisingly great at basketball. And my thing here is that before all this went down, Mike thought Alex was on the team. So why haven't they done this before as father and son? He must think Alex is already a decent player. I mean, like, I guess the answer is that he hasn't been there for his kids. Yeah, now that we're talking about it, his behavior with his kids and his attitude towards life don't quite align. Maybe it's this thing that he has good days and bad days, but initially, in the beginning of the movie, he's so downtrodden, yet he's still making an effort to go see his kids and spend some time with them. So I don't really know where his relationship with his kids is at. Yeah, I think what's missing is like a moment early on in the movie where he realizes that he hasn't been there for his kids. Yeah, there's a turning point that leads him to decide, okay, I'm going to make an effort today. Something along those lines would have been helpful to establish where exactly he's at. Yeah, but for his daughter, he keeps seeing her with fucking Stan and God, the horror of seeing your kid make out with somebody, especially somebody like Stan. <laughs> but at one point, Mike gets into a physical fight with Stan and we see the aftermath. And Mike is holding up an ice pack of some sort to his face <laughs> and he's not even bruised or bleeding yeah. or anything. I was just like, what, the, you were too scared to like fuck up Zac Efron's face? Come on, man. <laughs> no, you don't understand. When he turned back in time, he also became invincible. He doesn't bruise anymore. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> he got beat up so badly by Ned, but he was completely fine then too. <laughs> You're right. But yeah, that caught my eye too. The fact that he was holding up an ice pack to nothing. <laughs> it's the same when later on in a scene, Maggie is crying, but there are no tears. <laughs> the entire scene, she's sniffling and she's wiping her nose, but her face is completely dry. <laughs> it's so distracting. On to our third O'Donnell. Mike listens to what Scarlett has planned for the backyard, her wants and needs, and volunteers to help. And tying in with the not at all subtle metaphor here, this is one of the first times in recent years that he's listening to his wife and putting in the work to nurture something instead of growing complacent and letting things fester and deteriorate and giving up. I do like that one <laughs> exchange. And he's just like teasing her. And it's, I don't know, I liked it. Yeah, it gives the relationship a bit more depth. We're reminded that they used to be friends before their relationship fell apart. We haven't really seen them interact too much because the focus has mainly been on Mike and his kids. So it's nice for both Mike and us to be reminded that they had a good rapport and there was a reason that they chose each other and they chose to get married to each other. It's nice to see. And you can see why Scarlett was charmed by Mike. His way of flattering her and getting into her good graces is helping her. He's just listening to her. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah, it's not sleazy or anything in comparison to Ned, <laughs> who oh, this whole time has been pursuing the high school principal against her wishes. It's just 
painful to watch yeah it's like straight up harassment yeah not great and it's just unfortunate that he also happens to be the nerdy character and that they had to make him creepy as well because i think this is an all too familiar trope yeah i'm thinking of something like the big bang theory here where they have the characters be not at all adept at interacting with women and in a lot of instances they resort to harassment same as ned it's a tired trope yeah and it's never acknowledged as harassment yeah but we finally get our montage our montage (laughs) that we've been (laughs) waiting for we see mike trading alex and i am more impressed by mike kicking the basketball so perfectly towards alex's hands instead of Alex's shots. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe his real dream was to be a soccer player. And the moment he turned 17, he's like, now I'm going to pursue my dream. And we see him just quit basketball and, and try out for soccer instead. That would be so funny. Zac Efron wouldn't let that happen though, because contract. <laughs> but yeah, the montage. Aside from training Alex, Mike also spends his time sabotaging Maggie's relationship. This didn't grate me as much as like all the others. I am going to give Mike the benefit of the doubt and say that he's against Maggie dating, not because she is a woman, but because she's dating a bad guy. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully that is the case because the scenes are really funny, especially when he held up the candle to the smoke detector. That was really funny. (laughs) I really like that too. The pettiness is consistent, again, with his character. Like when he hit Naomi with that basketball because she was encouraging Scarlett to date other people. I saw that coming and I really like that where you can predict a character's reaction because you get to know them so well. Yeah. But this montage ends with the backyard all completed. And how long has Mike (laughs) been young? Mike has been gone for months now, years even. (laughs) Working on your yard takes a long time. Especially because I'm assuming Scarlett's working on hers amidst other things in her life. Her job, the divorce, raising two kids. (laughs) So I don't think she has all that much time to dedicate to it. It would be funny if the montage ended and then we see Mike going off to college. (laughs) He's already graduated. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Although we don't really see Scarlett having other commitments. Like I understand she's a single mom. She must have a lot on her plate. But every time we see her, she's working on the backyard. So I think she just forgets to sleep and eat and is just (laughs) constantly in the backyard fixing it up. And hey, maybe that is a metaphor for her desperately trying to put her life back together. Who knows? That's her way of coping. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But Mike and Scarlett dance and talk. And I actually really love this scene. The part where Scarlett talks to him about her ex-husband. And she still loves and cares about Mike. But it's not enough, to use her words. Because no matter how much you love someone, you still need to put an effort and work on your marriage. The fact of the matter is, Mike did blow it. I really love seeing that sentiment depicted here. Such a real feeling. You can Mm -hmm. care as much as you want. You can love someone as much as you want. But it takes more than that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's something that is often missing in, you know, mainstream movies and TV and whatnot. It is a more realistic standpoint compared to the idealistic version of romantic love that we get in movies normally. One last thing that I really enjoyed, actually, is the back and forth between Scarlett, her date, yeah, and Mike. <laughs> that was funny. 
we learned that Scarlett is about to go out on a date. <laughs> and the interaction is so funny because the date mistakes Mike for Scarlett's son. And initially he's like, you know, it's normal for sons to be protective of their mothers. They feel like they're taking over their dad's position in the household. I completely understand why he's hostile to me. And when Scarlett's like, He's not my son. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay, that's weird. <laughs> but yeah, while Scarlett is on her date, Mike and Alex and Maggie have gone to a party. Um, there's a bunch of slut shaming, blah, yeah. blah, blah, awful. <laughs> well, speaking of which, right after this, he gives Maggie a whole lecture about dating Stan. I mean, I, I guess I get it. She's a teenager, so maybe she's not thinking completely clearly. But the fact that she is giving up going to a reputable college for stan i mean come on <laughs> think a little yeah uh, sorry i don't want to be judgmental i don't think you're being judgmental maybe if it had been a decent guy i could have been like oh. no absolutely not <laughs> uh, maybe begrudgingly like okay whatever you know you do you if she was dating a good guy he wouldn't have been happy with this either yeah point is not Stan. Come on, yeah. not, not for Stan. The thing with this scene is, and this happens a couple times throughout the movie, but Mike says lines like, I know him better than you do about Stan, as if there's a parallel between him and Stan, and I think it's really misplaced. Mm. It would be fitting if part of the journey is him, again, realizing it was a jerk in high school, treated the people around him poorly, but that wasn't his character, so it really stood out to me each time it happens when his character gets lines like this, when he's talking about Stan. The only way I can read that line is if he's referring to his classmates or his teammates back when he was in high school. Maybe he just means he's familiar with that type of person. Yeah, that would make sense. That's the only thing I can think of. But you're right, the parallel absolutely doesn't because he's set up from the very beginning as a decent guy. So the comparison to Stan is absolutely not warranted. <laughs> he's such a bad character. Why not just have... A decent guy dating Maggie. Like, why have Stan there? They also could have had Maggie date an okay guy, but also still have problems, you know? There's not always a bad guy. There's not always a dickhead that you have to break up with. Yeah. And this could be a really interesting thing where Mike is like, the knowledge shame part is about relationships that are between two people who care about each other, but it's harder than just loving each other. And that's something that mm. he has to deal with and he works through it as he's looking at it from an outsider's perspective between Maggie and her boyfriend. Like that would have been really interesting. That would have been so much better. But what we do get is a very flat character in Stan. Like, I never understand his motivations. And he's just painted as this cliche bully character who doesn't do anything else but terrorize the people around him. <laughs> I think your suggestion would have worked a lot better. Especially because it ties into his character development and it would have made sense for him to deal with his own situation while he's helping his daughter through something similar. Because it's always easier to look at someone else's situation more objectively than it is your own. So if it had led to an epiphany about his own problems, then I think that would have been really great. Then that character of Maggie's boyfriend would have served a purpose as well. 
we move on to the game. What's present in this scene? Is Scarlett on a date with another man, Maggie making out with Stan, and Alex playing on the team? They had all these things that are meaningful and occupying Mike's mind, and I thought it was gonna come to a head. Something coming up where one of the kids are in need of something and storms off, and he chooses to leave the game and makes the right choice of prioritizing his family. I was so sure that was gonna happen and stick the landing of how much at the end of the day he really has gotten his priorities in order and realized he made the right choice all along yada yada but that doesn't happen here even when it does kind of happen at the end like this is more fitting all the pieces were there one kid with her problem one kid with his thing and his wife at the precipice of being with somebody else <sighs> made me so angry <laughs> yeah you're right it would have been a great conclusion to everything that we've been building up so far what we get is not much in comparison when you put it that way it's just a lot of wasted potential the movie forgets what it set out to do i think because they establish as we mentioned earlier on in the beginning that this whole journey is about his kids him realizing that he's been neglecting his family this would have been the perfect stage for him in a way to fix his mistakes because it's the same setting, the basketball court, where he made that initial choice, but then everything went down the wrong path. And here he is back in that same spot again, and this is his chance to finally fix that thing that he's been wanting to. And they waste it. <laughs> it's just a game, and he sets up the game for Alex to win. But what happens here is Maggie and Stan break up and Mike gets to be fatherly, except he's in Zac Efron's body. And Maggie's like, oh my god, this guy's hitting on me. <laughs> I love how like unselfconscious he was the whole time. He was just like so focused on trying to console her and everything. It's in character that he's again forgotten that he's in a teenager's body. And I thought that scene was pretty touching that he's comforting his daughter who's been hurt. And I guess from Maggie's perspective, I can understand why she starts liking Mike because she doesn't know obviously who he is. Especially after Stan, he's like, oh, here's somebody who actually cares how I feel. I think this would have been a great point for, as we were discussing before, for there to be a parallel between her relationship and Mike's relationship with Scarlett and for him to have a realization. But that doesn't materialize. But yeah, it makes for <laughs> a pretty uncomfortable scene where Mike realizes <laughs> what he's accidentally done. <laughs> yeah, but this happens again later on at the party at Nets. Alex is bonding with the girl that he likes and Maggie pushes herself onto Mike. Not cool. Yeah, that was um, uncomfortable. <laughs> For many reasons. But also Scarlett shows up mid-party because Alex isn't home and Mike tries to tell Scarlett the truth because he gets swept up in the moment at one point and like tries to kiss her. But the morning after is actually the court date to finalize his divorce. So yeah, he doesn't really have much choice but to turn up at the hearing as a 17 year old and so obviously everyone thinks that the actual mike is skipping the whole thing but teenage mike he's saying he has a letter for scarlet from her husband 
this is probably the strongest point in Zac Efron's performance. Yeah. It is a really touching scene. He reminds her of the early days of their relationship and why they fell in love with each other. And he apologizes for losing his way and for blaming her for everything that's gone wrong in his life. And I think the writing isn't anything revolutionary here, but the simplicity works, especially because Mike is supposed to be improvising this on the spot. So just the fact that he says things like, I don't want you to do this, <laughs> and it's not necessarily, you know, anything poetic. It's not anything particularly logical because it doesn't matter what he wants. But just the fact that it's his raw emotion he's expressing on the spot makes it quite powerful. I do think the writing here and the performance all came together quite well for quite an emotional scene. Yeah, for sure. The simplicity, I think, portrays how honest he's being, how vulnerable he is in that moment. Yeah. And yeah, I love the line that you mentioned, like, I don't want you to do this. I also actually like the part where he's like, I saw you and... I just had to have you. But he wasn't saying it in a like shitty way. <laughs> he was just <laughs> expressing like his emotion at the time, how overwhelming it was. And the things he said were really grounded. And maybe that's because of how simple it is too. Like his care and love is clear. It's not a grandiose tale either. The way he put it, was that she made him feel so peaceful and safe. That was like the most romantic thing ever to me. The line I really liked is when he said, nothing could ever be as bad because I was with you. Yeah. And it's just so simple because it's like, I finally have a best friend and a partner and I can face anything with them. The sentiment was so sweet. <laughs> yeah. And like you said, he owns up to losing his way and blaming her for his failures, which honestly is the big thing here. Mike has been blaming everyone but himself and making his wife the villain in this story one way or another. Yeah, in the beginning, he was acting like he did her some huge favor by marrying her because when she confronts him and she says in the beginning of the movie that I never asked you to marry me and he's like, yeah, but I did it anyway. Yeah, that part was heartbreaking. She was really hurt by that too. She was like, the fuck you do and the fact that throughout this whole journey he has realized that it was him projecting his internal issues onto the people around him the fact that he realized that and honestly apologizes for it i think that is really great <laughs> you know what i'm realizing is that we very rarely get real apologies in like movies or tv or maybe books i don't know or in real life <laughs> yeah it's always like, I'm sorry if I hurt you, or I'm sorry if you were offended. And I really like the fact that he doesn't say the word if when he's apologizing. He just owns up to what he did wrong, and he says that he's sorry. Yeah, and what I'm realizing is, I always encounter, like, there are movies that we've seen. Some people do some really awful things, and in the moment, I'm like, oh my god, I forgot that this was as bad as it is. And I would have never forgiven them, blah blah blah. But when I'm presented with actual apologies like this where he actually does say what he did wrong and that it was his fault i suddenly am like this character is forgivable because you know the way mike treated his wife was really shitty no matter how decent of a guy he was i wouldn't have thought that i would come around to him in that sense but i did because he did learn and i really like it the scene really landed with me and it was great <laughs> yeah and it makes it believable that scarlet does forgive him after this scene. Yeah. After Mike delivers this very touching letter, Scarlett decides to postpone the hearing 
for a while longer. And she actually realizes that the letter that Mike had been reading was actually blank. So she realizes that this teenager knows details about her relationship that he shouldn't have known. And I think that's when she starts to suspect that it might be her husband, Mike. She goes home and looks at the yearbook and his picture as a 17-year-old. And she did notice the resemblance before, but I guess she didn't think too much of it. You know what occurred to me? It would have been really funny if like her conclusion was that Mike had a kid with somebody else and this is his kid. <laughs> it's not actually Ned's kid. <laughs> Can you imagine? I feel like that would have been the logical conclusion. True. Mike is pretty down at this point. He's thinking of just making the most of being 17 and starting over now that he's basically let go of the hope of getting his family back. You know, this would have been a great moment of seeing Mike suddenly content with the fact that he is trapped <laughs> in a 17-year-old's body. And this is the moment where we could have seen that really amazing nuance. Yeah, this is the thing. He doesn't struggle at all. Because from the very beginning, he's thrilled to have his 17-year-old agility and energy back. And that did make it fun to some degree to have him be so happy that he can finally eat whatever he wants again, or he can jump around and do his signature basketball move again. But it is missing that nuance of experiencing the negative side of it, which very well could have been this realization that maybe he can't go back to his old life no matter how much he wants it. It's usually always that way. You're happy at first, then you realize, oh my god, like the horror <laughs> dawns. But it kind of never happens here. You know, he goes through shit and he's sad, but it's never about being trapped in a weird body. Yeah, he's... Pretty much content with being 17, either way. <laughs> I think he just hasn't thought things through because he's been fighting to get his family back this whole time. And if he did, but he was still stuck as a 17-year-old, I think that's when it would dawn on him if he ended up getting another chance with his wife. But then he's like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> this isn't gonna work. I think maybe then he would have realized, but he's given up hope that he can return to that place with his family again. And that line made me really sad where he said that everyone was happier without him. They were better off without him. That was quite heartbreaking. Yeah. Now that Mike is trying to make a go of it as a 17-year-old, I guess, he's playing in the game again. Then he's trying to get a scholarship. Deja vu. But Scarlett is in the audience and he does the basketball kiss thing the air kiss thing and i was like cringing the first time it happened but it was sweet here i don't know i think i've just come to love their relationship a lot i don't like it but same as you i think now that we have more details of their relationship and a hint at the rapport they used to have i can understand it as like a playful thing yeah like an inside joke but not a joke whatever it's called yeah that convinces scarlet that it is her husband, Mike, who is somehow a teenager. <laughs> and understandably, she's quite shocked by this revelation and she leaves the basketball game. And once again, Mike is faced with a very familiar choice of continuing with this basketball game or going after the love of his life. And can we guess which choice he makes? <laughs> he goes to play soccer. <laughs> yep. That's the end. No. Of course, he goes after Scarlet once again, and he passes the ball to Alex this time instead of just dropping it. <laughs> Which is, I suppose it's a nice 
touch. Yeah, it is. It's a nice culmination of everything that they've been through so far. But yeah, he goes after Scarlet and at that point, he magically transforms back into his grown-up self and they reconcile. And that's the end. <laughs> okay, I have a question. Yeah. When Mike realizes his mission isn't reliving his youth but helping his kids, do we even realize if this is true like by the end because like is the actual mission here actually realizing that he made the right choice all along and choosing scarlet because that's when he finally turns back to his adult body right which leads me to believe that that was what he was supposed to learn <laughs> maybe yeah he just completely misunderstood what he was there for but he ended up doing some good along the way anyway it's like you said they forgot what the movie was about halfway through <laughs> Yeah, either that or I think they were just confused on it to begin with. Yeah. Maybe it's just that he did everything he could for his kids and all that was left was his relationship with Scarlet. I know, but like it's so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, especially because we never, as you were saying while we were watching this movie, we never get any closure on the plotline with the kids. They never even know, I guess, that it was him all along. <laughs> The movie literally ends with Scarlett and Mike in that hallway reconciling. Mm. My biggest problem with this movie is that it's about Mike reconnecting with his family and they only end half of that arc. They have Mike and his wife reconcile, but they don't show that with his kids. He helps them and all, but his relationship with them is not mended at all. I was so confused when this movie ended. They literally just decided to not and the main arc like what the fuck his relationship with scarlet is a big part of the story but so is this relationship with this kid it's not even a subplot it's also not a thing where it's clear where the storyline will go young mike wasn't over here like helping the kids understand their father better or appreciate him or anything mm -hmm. he was only helping them flourish in their lives his relationship with them is still in shambles and like this movie ends right before the big resolution I guess the movie never pretended to want to mend their relationship. They just cared about like helping the kids in school. So you know what? Maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's my misunderstanding, but that is shitty. <laughs> this is why I say it's too focused on the romantic love aspect. Because it just forgets that a part of finding happiness is also having a positive relationship with his kids. There's no effort to develop that parental relationship, that familial love between Mike and his children because it's just too focused on the romantic aspect. And yeah, he helps his kids in their own domains or whatever, but there's a piece of the puzzle missing which prevents it from being a complete narrative. But I suppose we're supposed to imagine that he becomes a more attentive father <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, the movie just ends <laughs> it would have been nice to see the kids come around and realize that he has been trying it would be fun if they found out too that it had been him the whole time yeah even if they had hinted at it because scarlet was looking at the yearbook and if they both saw the yearbook and saw the picture of their dad that would have been the thing that's like oh we know where this ends so yeah because of this it, the story feels quite incomplete and to me, at least, it feels a little bit muddled in the message it's trying to convey. Very much so. So, an absurd conclusion. Mike was trapped in a 17-year-old body for months, maybe even years. <laughs> Reports of Mike O'Donnell missing have been filed. The family has mourned him. All the while, 
young Mike is chilling with them, finishing up the backyard, <laughs> whistling along. <laughs> Would you like to offer up an absurd conclusion of your own, Sohini? Yeah, in that vein, my absurd conclusion would be that Mike became immortal when he fell into the magic whirlpool. He cannot be harmed by mere human beings anymore. He cannot be bruised. He cannot bleed. And our final absurd conclusion is that, in truth, Mike is a soccer star. He's just kind of lost his way, <laughs> mixed up the balls a little, you know, <laughs> he meant to pick up the other one. <laughs> He's just been boxed in by society's expectations. <laughs> Yeah. Have you ever considered that maybe I can be both? <laughs> A famous Mike line, as we all know. <laughs> Iconic Mike O'Donnell line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now that we've discussed this movie in excruciating detail, have your opinions changed and would you recommend this movie? My opinions have definitely changed. I think a lot of this movie's weaknesses went over my head when I was watching it as a younger viewer. And now that I'm watching it with a more critical eye, it's hard to look past the flaws. And I'm not just talking about the normalization of harassment and slut-shaming and misogyny. I'm also talking about very unimpressive writing, which gets in the way of pretty decent characterization. To be fair, parts of it are still fun, but overall, it's just not as enjoyable a movie as it was before. So I wouldn't recommend this movie. Watch 13 Going on 30 instead. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Yeah, I feel very similarly. <laughs> My opinions have changed in that I like this less now. It's like you said, it's hard to get over the bad stuff and like there's a lot of fun parts but unfortunately it doesn't outweigh everything else. And what I like about this movie is actually the subject matter and the themes they're exploring and the concept and especially with something like this where it is a concept that's been done before. Um, and it's pretty familiar to the audience. Like one thing you can do is make it a tour de force for your actors. The joy of this movie should be excellent execution. Seeing these actors like push the limits and doing some really incredible acting, some really incredible writing should be present and that's where the value lies unfortunately it is missing that and like they have such a star-studded cast too like they could have easily done that like this movie wasn't meant to be that you know they didn't like try to make it that but like what's the point of just doing another body transplant movie if the point isn't to push that to its limits i mean there is a point obviously i, I don't subscribe to that where like it has to be the best yeah. but <laughs> in this case that's what i would have wanted and especially because of what they do explore here because not all stories with this trope explore these themes that we discussed but this one does and I love that I love what they touch on here and there yeah. so I don't recommend this movie it's not worth your time actually like up to the end I would have recommended it I would have been like just ignore the bad stuff it's a fun watch and you know it ends <laughs> is what I was assuming <laughs> But it doesn't. So like, instead of just being able to enjoy this movie as a really dumb movie to watch, it leaves you so unsatisfied, which is, I guess, my least favorite thing. You're investing time in this thing. And of course you want it to have a satisfying ending. Otherwise, it feels like you've been cheated out of two good hours of your life. So yeah, I don't particularly recommend this movie. Maybe, you know what I recommend to rewatch this movie if you had liked it back in the day and realized how bad it is? <laughs> 
I don't know. I just want you guys to like suffer with me. <laughs> Misery loves company. If I had to go through this, you have to go through this. And that's all for this episode. Next time, we actually will be discussing Hannah Montana the movie. As we said, we were going to last week. If you have any thoughts to share on the movie, send them in at graveyard underscore slot on Twitter and Instagram. Or email us at thegraveyardslot at gmail.com so we can share on the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Graveyard Slot.